Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today's guest is the British actor Russell Tovey, who first caught our attention when he appeared in both the film and theatre production of Alan Bennett's The History Boys in 2006. Since then, his star has continued to rise with appearances in Doctor Who, Gavin and Stacey and Looking, as well as the National Theatre's Angels in America and most recently in the TV futuristic dystopian drama Years and Years. He is also actively involved in the art world as well as being a keen collector, he co-hosts the podcast Talk Art and this autumn is guest curator at an arts festival in Margate to mark the 2019 Turner Prize, which will take place there. He came to see me at Five Carlos Place, accompanied by his French bulldog Rocky, to talk about all of this, as well as the five things he'd put in the cabinet upstairs. Hi, Russell Tovey. Hello, how are you? Very well, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's a beautiful day. It's wonderful to be here with you. Yeah, your first time at Five Carlos Place. It is, indeed. With um, your, is it a French bulldog? He is a French yeah. bulldog. Yes, called Beaut- Rocky. Beautiful grey colour. Grey hair, big ears. And Very similar see- to me. Actually, it's the first, well, I have, we have had dogs brought in here before, but not on the podcast in this um, place, in this mm-hmm. location. So. Mm-hmm. It's a nice addition. Anyway. What a treat, right? It, well, it adds an extra vibe, which I which I like. He's been very quiet at the moment, but he, and he will come alive again. It's a very humid day, and he's had enough. I want him to start panting. You do? Yeah. You'll, well, it, it will happen. Give it time. Noise. No time at all. Here he goes. Here he is. Starts moving around. <laughs> there he is. Um, so how, how are you doing? Where are you, what are you up to at the moment? Right now, uh, I'm back and forth to Eastbourne where I'm shooting an ITV four-part drama called Flesh and Blood, which is due out uh, after Christmas, so 2020. Uh, I play a gambling addicted personal trainer called Jake and his mum has just met a new guy. Uh, his dad's been gone for, he died like 18 months previous and his mum's met someone new and him and his two siblings, two sisters, are very wary of this new guy that's coming to his mum's life. Uh, we're very immature, um, very childlike, not very supportive of her love for him. Uh, and all kind of hell ensues and our neighbour is Mary, who's a bit, it's a bit psycho, played by Imelda Staunton. Oh, right. So it's a comedy then? Well, no, not really, but there are funny (laughs) moments. I'm trying to pull out the comedy, yeah. Um, And because you've been getting amazing reviews for another drama, which is on at the moment, years and years. Yeah, it's been so nice. It was such uh, a joyous job to do, one of my most favourite jobs to do, and the fact that people have reacted in such a positive, amazing way, it just makes it even the more joyous. Because so many times you do jobs... So many times I've done jobs and I think, oh, this is going to be the one. This is going to change everything. People are going to love this. And it comes out and no one gives a shit. And other things you're not really into and they come out and people really like them. And it's trying to get that balance. But yeah. now this feels like the perfect storm. It's so lovely. Yeah. And it's I'm really, really proud of it. When your agent or whoever shows you scripts, mm. what, are you, what are you looking for? Dialogue. 
That's yeah. it. I can know within 10, 10 pages of reading the script really? if I want to do it or not. If I know what that character is, yeah. Dialogue straight away, I'm like, that's it. And or, is that something you've learned over the years? Yeah, I think you've got to trust your instincts. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing it for years and years. I think, yeah. <laughs> hashtag. Uh, I think that my instincts were always, it's always been character driven, whether it is, it has to be character driven and the dialogue has to be something that I can um, gauge who the character is. That's always been my thing. And yeah, yeah it does take years because you do take jobs when you're younger because you don't really know what it is your taste is or you don't trust your own taste, you don't trust what your style is or yeah. you don't trust your instincts basically. I think it does take time to do that with anything in life, to trust your instincts, that's that's a, a journey to go on. Yeah, but you've and you've been doing, you've done so much yeah. in the time since you've, I mean I know History Boys I think was your breakthrough. That was a breakthrough around for all of us, yeah. Um, which was obviously, it must have been an amazing thing to, like a massive high to sort of start on and then where'd you go from there sort of thing. I mean, but it was you've incredible. Just kept... That was an incredible experience. That was meant to be like 40 shows at National Theatre and that just like snowballed. You know, but I'm very nostalgic about that show, but we performed that like 650 times. We were on Broadway for, uh, how long was we on Broadway? Six months before we'd been around the world, before three months with it. In my head, it was all a laugh. But then I get reminded of stories. James Corden tells people this story about how I used to fantasise about getting stabbed on the subway so I could have a show off. Just a surface wound. <laughs> I didn't want any organs damaged. But just so I could have a show off. Because you go crazy. And it's all relative. Because everyone on the outside thinks, oh, you're having the most incredible time. It's brilliant. It is incredible. It is brilliant. But when you're in the show, doing the show every night, you go mad. You go completely mad. And you're in New York. You're away how, from... How old were you? 23, yeah. 23, 24. So you're away from all your like, family and your friends and you've got these guys and it's like being in a boy band, I guess, being on tour. And we were the biggest hit on Broadway everybody wanted a piece of you, which was an amazing experience, but it just spins your head out. And I think yeah. when we came out of that, I didn't really have anything straight away. So we'd come from the royal premiere with Charles and Camilla and then it just stopped. Then I had nothing. And then how long until you did the film? So we finished doing the play, which got extended, 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 and then we shot the movie probably a month after that over the summer holidays, because it was in a school, so the kids yeah. were off school, and then straight away after that, September, we went off around the world. Don't you just get burnt out? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Just, I've always it's wondered just saying the same you, lines yeah. over and over yeah. again. It's, you know, the thing is about the fact that it was eight boys is that one of us would go down, everyone else would bring them up, the next day that person would go down, everyone else would have to bring them back up, right. and it was, we were really close, we were really tired. We really still like care about each other deeply. Because it it's yeah, like yeah. Dominic Cooper. Yeah, Dominic Cooper, James Corden, Sam Anderson, Sam Barnett, Jamie Parker, nah. Sasha Dwayne. It was like it was amazing. We had Richard Griffiths in that, the late Richard Griffiths, and Francis de la Tour, yeah. and just having Alan Bennett there the whole time. It was. Did, a you really, met? Was he was there? I was going to oh, ask if you'd met him all the time. So Every what, day rehearsals. Tell me about Alan there. Bennett. Tell me what's he like? Heaven, just like exactly what you think he's going to be like, and he bikes around everywhere. And because when you and the lady in the van as well. Yeah, we all yeah. Had, we all had cameos. What are his yeah, boys? Yeah. But given cameo roles, yeah, I played a, a rent boy in that <laughs> that seduces Alan Bennett, uh, and it was it was amazing just to have the the writer there and someone like Alan Bennett, and he doesn't do that apparently in every job, and he was again that was a joyous job, and he wanted to be there every day, and he loved being in the room, and it was like going doing like a dissertation because every day we'd have him reading poetry to us and us discussing it and breaking it down and literature and the whole experience was amazing. The play wasn't written for us, it was written for the audience and it was only until the first preview 
you realised, oh yeah, that's that's funny actually. Oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, I didn't know what it was talking about then. Oh, now I get it. And there's so many references in that which I've picked up, which I can still kind of talk about today that uh, yeah. I would never have known if I hadn't done that play. Yeah. Yeah. What's the role that you get recognised the most for? Well, right this minute, years and years. Right. So on this wavy really? of walking with Rocky, I've probably had about six or seven people talk about years and years. Really? So yeah. what do they say to you? They love it. So they, was this, you came here on the tube, yeah. you were saying. So what, they saw you on the tube and what, what did they oh, say? Come on, say, I really love years and years. Oh my God, years and years is amazing. I can't believe what happened to you in years and years. It's such a shame. <laughs> is it coming back? And I'm like, really? I hope not because I'm not in it. <laughs> so, but if it does for the others, I'm very happy. Um, Have you ever had any stalkerish fans or like... Yes. And isn't that... Yes. Yeah. I've had... That, I had an experience recently with someone. I, I mean, he, he turned out very sweet, but... Somebody got hold of my address and my email and was sending me flowers and emailing me and stuff, which was fine, but it did worry me a little bit. But then it got diffused very quickly. Is it one of those, not to belittle it, but is it one of those things where you think, oh my God, I'm actually a celebrity now because I've got um, a stalker? Other people tell you that. Yeah. It, when you're actually in it, it doesn't no, feel that exciting, no. no. It's like all them things, like you yeah. want, I'm not going to name names, but I've always wanted to work with a diva or a bitch. And you hear all them stories, like someone who won't come out of the trailer or someone who's really difficult to yeah. work with. And I've always yeah. been like, oh, well, there's something quite right, filmic, romantic about that, which I quite enjoy. Yeah. When it happens, it's shit. And when you're in it, you're like, I, I've wished this for myself. Actually, and this is someone who never turns up on time and, and just someone who's just lines. mean. Someone just makes things yeah. a bit, just takes all the joy out of the room. It's just not nice. And the same when it comes to a stalker, you think, oh, I've got a stalker. But the reality is, it's actually a bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. very nice and someone knows where you live. Yeah. And they're like buzzing your door at 11 o'clock yeah. at night and you're like, I'm not, I don't, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't cool actually. I don't like this. So, you know, the romantic filmic version where it all turns out you end up falling in love with your stalker or whatever. Yeah. It, that, it's no. not, that's not, not reality. Not the bodyguard. No. She, um, no, he was, that goes, yeah. goes horribly wrong. He was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, um, but, but you obviously feel comfortable enough to go on the tube and walk around. Yeah. And, I've always been yeah. like that. I mean, yeah. it's just like. I think the more you just act like everything's normal, which it is, it's, you know, it is abnormal what I do comparable to what everyone else does. But in my life, I've been doing it all my life and this just is me mm. in my life. So I'm just going to do what I want, really. I want to get on the bus. I want to get on the mm. tube. So I will. And I think the more you're just like, don't make a big deal out of it. No one notices you. No one really looks. You know, sometimes I've been out and people have like freaked out. And sometimes you, if there's a group of young people together and they recognise you and then they all kind of right. amp each other up yeah. and they get a bit like whoopy and stuff, which is, you know, it's a compliment, but you just sort of go, hey, and then you sort of move away and go somewhere else. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, don't think I'm at a phase where I can't walk anywhere at all. I think um, Paul McCartney says that you have to, uh, that he, the way that he deals with it is that he never stands still. He always keeps moving whenever he's out and about. It's apparently when he stands still. Yeah, that true. I was just saying. So that's when the somewhere they're just having some food, and I was giving him some water, and then I had a couple of people come up to me while I was static. Yeah. I guess I'm not Paul McCartney, <laughs> so I mean I, I can follow that trend, yeah. but I don't know if I need yeah. to just yet. I can have stillness <laughs> in my social moverings. Um, now I've told you about the format for the podcast, which is um, five things that go in the cabinet upstairs, which you haven't seen yet, no. and which you should maybe, if you have time, um, take Rocky up for a, yeah. some exercise afterwards. Um, there's a cafe upstairs with a cabinet, and we sort of house these things in the cabinet mm. with a QR code that you can scan to download this podcast. Mm. 
What are you going to talk about? The consider cabinet scares me because my number one thing is going to be Rocky, but I don't want to put Rocky in a cabinet. Well, but we can put a photo of him in there. Just a photo. Of, okay, yeah. cool. You can put a photo yeah. of him. That's fine. Well, my, my, if we're going to prioritise everything, the thing that's had the biggest impact on my life as an adult has been my dog, who's six now, and I got him at four months. And I always wanted to. I do want to be a dad of a child, but I've always wanted to look after an animal and have my own buddy with me to travel the world and come around with me. Uh, I used to go running in Hampstead Heath, I used to live in Archway, and sometimes someone else's dog would run alongside you, and I'd pretend for that moment that that was my dog running alongside me and love that feeling. The reality is I can't run alongside Rocky because he's like, fuck that, I'm not gonna run alongside (laughs) you, I'll give you about two minutes and then he's like on the floor panting. That's not the breed for running with. He has completely just filled me with love and happiness and all the best feelings that you could ever want. He How is, did you um, choose him or come into come, come to live with him? Um, one of my friends has a Frenchie called Ernie, and I didn't really know the breed before, and I looked after Ernie when he went back and forth. He's, he was living in San Francisco, and I used to leave him here, and I completely fell in love with Ernie, um, to the point where I fantasised about running away with him into the sunset from my friend, because I couldn't cope with not being with this little dog. And I sat there one day and I was stroking Ernie and I was kissing him and I was telling him how wonderful he was as a little dog and taking so many selfies with him. And I thought, I've just got to do this myself. And everyone always says, look, it's not the right time to get a dog. I don't know when the right time. There's never a right time. You've just got to do it. And I've sort of, I guess one of my riders, parenthesis, one of my diva demands is the fact that if I get a job now, I take my dog with me. And some people are very dubious, and I'm like, I don't No matter where in the world. So you travel, so Rocky travels with you? Yeah, Rocky travels with me. So I just take him over with me, and it's like, I think it's more of an issue for Europe and stuff like that. I haven't worked Europe with him yet. Brexit could be an issue. Could be a massive issue. We both, and he's French. Dog passport, yeah. Yes, he's got dog passport, yeah. But, um... That was what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to make sure that he's with me and that's that's my thing. And people were sort of like, we're not really sure we want a dog on production. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'll just turn up the first day with him. And they're like, oh, you bought your dog? I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, he's cute. Yeah, he's cute. Oh, he's quite calm. Yeah, he's really calm. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he's fine. So it's just convincing people because in their head they might think he's just rabid yeah. and yeah, going to yeah. attack people and Once children. they see it's fine. Yeah. Did you grow up with dogs? Yeah. Yeah, first dog we had was an old English sheep dog called Tasha. My parents, when they got together, they bred, my mum had a dog called Bessie, and they bred Bessie, and they had a litter of old English sheep dogs. And Tasha was one of them that they kept, which was Bessie's daughter, so I grew up. And we had Tasha till I was about seven. We had her, and then, we didn't have a dog for a while, my mum developed, not have another dog. And then there was this border collie, which went uh, loose, top of our road, no one knew, no one knew who it was. And we took in the border collie for two or three days. I fell in love with this border collie. Then someone took the border collie back and said, that's my border collie. And I was bereft. So we said, we're gonna get another dog. So we got a border collie. We had a border collie called Domino, who was uh, the family dog. She had little black and white spots on her paws, a little Domino's. And then we had a family cat called Duffer because we had a rat infestation in the family house in Billericay. They were best friends. And after they both passed on, I, in my head, I was like, when I get to a certain point, I'm gonna have my own dog. So you're more definitely, but you like cats as well, or more? Dog I could person? do cats, yeah. but a lot of people, a lot of people have issues with yeah. cats more than they do dogs. A lot of people have cat allergies, um, and yeah, people, people, yeah, people have adverse reactions to cats, and yeah. I think like some people are a bit like cats, 
like dogs have owners, cats have staff, and they don't really like that quality. I quite like that, but I like having him because he's, you know, he is a burden, but it's an absolute honour to be yeah. burdened with oh, him. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So you said you grew up in Billericay. Was it quite outdoorsy? We yeah, well, I grew up in Harold Wood, and where we lived was a cul-de-sac, and our house backed onto woods, so there was donkeys and horses over the woods at the back. It was just like a semi-detached house street. It's called Woodstock Avenue. And um, I was outdoorsy all the time, and, you know, like mm. tyres off of trees and ditches and building little dens and stuff. So very much like in the woods, picking up dirt, you know, eating wild mushrooms and stuff, getting the shits, you know, all that sort of thing <laughs> that you do when you're a kid. Nice. Um, which, I like, which nowadays just doesn't seem to be what kids do. I think we, you know, I've ate lots of germs, which we did of our age group as kids, mud pies yeah. and plants. Apparently and that's why there's a lot more allergies. Yes. Yeah. Because I think we cleared all them away by ingesting all that just running Did you wild. have hobbies? I had loads of hobbies. I... I did gymnastics. I was a big collector. I've always been a collector of things. So I'd go around collecting bits and bobs, rocks and minerals, phone cards. Remember your phone cards? Yeah. Pitch and phone. I used to have a whole collection of phone really? cards. I've so always cool. been like a, a hoarder, and I get fascinated and enthusiastic about something, and then I'm completely obsessed with it. So I had lots of things like that. But yeah, swimming and gymnastics were my thing as a kid. Okay, so quite sporty sort of. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, very flexible. Yeah. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. Siblings? So again, uh, yes, older brother. Yeah, two years older. When you were young, were you in, what, like, what gave you the acting bug, as it's called? Or I watched movies constantly. Oh, right, uh, so you were really into Yeah, into like The Goonies, yeah. Home Alone, Hook. And then cartoons a lot, like Land Before Time, uh, Five Will Goes West, The American Tale, Rescues mm. Down Under, Sword in the Stone, Robin Hood. Sleeping Beauty, just so many things like influence. A lot of Americana. I wanted to be a runaway American kid. I used to dream that Macaulay Culkin was my best friend. <laughs> and I used to show him off to everyone. And I think most people of my age group had the dream that Macaulay Culkin was their best friend because he was like who you wanted to be. But so those good. movies, I remember being such a huge influence on me. And I used to walk around with an American accent. Uh, it was probably terrible at the time, but I remember when Lakeside Shopping Centre opened and I went up to someone there and I said, excuse me, where's the restroom? And they were like, what? I was like, where's the toilet? I went, it's over there. I was like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was just like, I just, yeah, I wanted to do that so much. And I was going gymnastics um, and my brother was dancing at that age. He did, used to do um, uh, street dance and everything and he was really good when he was young. He did like some music video as well for one of the teachers at one point called Donna Diabelius, she was called the music teacher. I remember that. Amazing it's name. It's a funny name, yeah. right? Um, and there was a guy who was in Grange Hill, who was friends of a friends of someone, and he was there posing for photos of all the kids who were doing this gymnastics competition. And I remember talking to him, and I was like, do you want acting? He was like, yeah. My mum was like, where'd you go? He said, well, I go to Sylvia Young's theatre school. And I was like, I want to be an actor. Suddenly it was felt like, oh, that's an option. You can actually do that as a kid. You can actually, this is possible. And we, and I went to drama clubs. After that I went, I don't do gymnastics anymore. I want to drama club. And that was it. I went drama club, joined a kid's agency, and then it all just sort of went from there really. Every single night of the week I was doing drama somewhere, drama weekends, going all over the place. My mum was amazing. My mum took me everywhere. She took me to all the auditions. When I got jobs, she was there as my chaperone. It was incredible. Wow. What did your did she work? What do your parents work? My or? parents run a coach company in Essex, 
everyone coaches. Oh, a coach company. Yeah, 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 yeah. Buses and stuff. So hire coaches and shuttle services. So it's their own business. Yep. Yeah. They started that when we was kids. My brother runs that now. Really? So it's a family thing. Oh, it's carried yeah, on. I've, I've What's it called? Na- Gatwick Flyer and Avon Coaches. Yeah. Right. And I'm nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> and they asked me to do my bus license and I refused because I didn't <laughs> want to get a call about 4.30 in the morning saying something had broken down at the A127. Um, so did you ever, you were talking about um, films, you know, being really into all those sort of Hollywood, classic Hollywood films. Did yeah. you ever go to spend time in Hollywood and do that whole thing of trying to break into movies over there and... Well, I've worked in America a lot. Yeah. Um, my first job, well, we did the History Boys in Broadway, so that was quite an eye-opener experience for all of us, and especially for the way that every boy was treated by casting directors and agents, and Dominic Cooper was uh, the kind of sexy star of, of the boys, and it was, it was... Do you mean you got pigeonholed? Did he get pigeonholed? Is that what you I mean th- when you were saying the way that the agents I think the way you? that people try and position you. So they immediately go, you're the, yeah, that one, you're, you're that the one. sexy one, or you're this one, or you're, you're that one. Or so you're what the- were you? Well, I was playing a jock, so I guess I was kind of the sporty one, but I wasn't... I don't really know, and, I, I, and that's what I'm saying, I don't know because I didn't get like the agency at the American agent at that point mm. people weren't jumping on me completely it felt like where it felt like his experience of doing his voice was completely different and it was like he was being positioned to go somewhere whereas mine felt like more of a having to prove myself struggle which was fine I had this one experience where I met this agent and I sat down with this agent and I was like okay this is cool really big agent over there a friend of a friend set me up and I sat down and he was like so how are you enjoying New York? I was like, oh, it's great. I'm having a really good time, you know, seeing lots of sights, enjoying the plays. Like, yeah, the play. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, Dominic Cooper's in that play, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the play with me. Who is he? Did he sign with somebody here? Because we saw him. Did, did he sign with another agent? And I was like, um, yeah, I think he, I think he's going with CIA. I think he has. Oh, okay. Is he happy there? I'm like, uh, I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think he's just signed with it. You know, because if he's not happy there, we kind of think we might be able to do something with him here because we were really keen on him, but we don't know what happened there. Do you know what? Do you know if he, it? I was like, okay, I, I could ask him. Yeah, please ask him. It's like, cool. He said, well, it's so nice to meet you. Have a great time in New York. Uh, if you want any restaurant recommendations, please email me. All the best. And I left that room just being like, fuck this. This is shit. This is really shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, it was just like horrible. And I was just there like, what was that about? Just being used, yeah, manipulated. And I was just a, a conduit to get to what they thought was the talent at the time. So that was, you know, that's a whole learning experience of yeah. going through that. And every, every history boy, if you lined all of us history boys up, which would be quite a funny one to get their experience, their personal experience, everyone would have had their own unique journey in that show and their own anxieties and their own kind of insecurities that would have come out from being part of a massive kind of it's not a franchise but it felt like we yeah. were covering all bases yeah so you didn't it didn't tempt you to go and move out to Hollywood and no so that's what you said yeah. so you said that so we did did the play came back and then I did um a tv show for HBO called Looking which I absolutely loved so I was out there for that uh, and that felt like a step in. Then I did a view from the bridge back on Broadway a few years back, which was awesome. That was such an amazing experience. And then I got an ABC network TV show called Quantico. So it felt like that's you know kind of happened. I'm back in Broadway next year to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf out there for seven months. And I've got a movie coming out late this year with Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen, directed by Bill Condon called The Good Liar, which was a joyous job again. The trailer looks 
awesome. The film I, I think is brilliant. I've seen an early screening and it was awesome. So, you know, that the, the thing of actually going out there and hanging out, no, not at all. That doesn't really appeal to me. I didn't actually move to LA and do the whole thing where you sit with the other actors around the swimming pool and read oh. sides. And also, then go, isn't just the like, constant rejection, they just must kill you? Or how? Um, how do I deal with rejection like that? Um, doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. I don't know. <laughs> really? No, I don't. You I don't, don't seem like the kind of. You seem very. Uh, at, you don't seem like a sort of, the sort of not, person who get bothered. No, by it, I believe in karma be, now, and I believe really? in. I believe in what is meant to be yeah. meant to be. It took a long time to get that. When I was a kid, I used to get really upset. I used to cry yeah. all the time oh. at not getting jobs. You desperately wanted them. Now I feel like I'm so blessed. Touch wood that. I'm really happy with my career that if I don't get a job, I'm like, it's not a reflection on me. Whereas before yeah. you can't help but take it personally and go, it's because I'm shit, it's because I don't look right, it's because I'm not good enough for this role, that's why I didn't get it. Now I'm like, I know it's because it's like, because I'm not right for the part and that's fine because the right person is right for that part and they should be playing that part. And th that takes a long, long time to get there. Thank God I'm there because the feelings of how it was before, you, you just can't, it just screws you up. Yeah. But now I'm like, all right, fine, fuck it, done. All right, what we've got next, that's all right, I don't care. Yeah. And I think, I think also, this is probably like, not good to admit, but maybe it's the, f financially I'm kind of quite happy in my life now from working lots. That, that having a financial cushion for yourself means that you're not as panicked about work. So when you're when you're out of work and you've got a bit of money, it's fine. And I got lo I got loads of stuff. Like I do this podcast now, talk art that takes up loads. I do loads of voiceovers. I'm writing. I've got a very active social life. I like taking the dog for long walks. There's loads of stuff going on. I've got like great friends, family. So my life is fulfilled. And you know, and there's money there, and that's fine. Yeah. If there was no money, if I was scrabbling around to pay my mortgage and rent, then then it's scare then it's a scary world. Mm. And I, I sometimes forget that I think, oh I'm really cool with this now. And I think no, it's because you you're okay, you've got your mortgage covered. Yeah. Also I suppose it sounds like you're doing acting because you, well, you it fulfills you but also and creatively, but also it pays the bills. You're not chasing like celebrity or No, I've no which, interest in that. It's you know all I mean? a byproduct. Yeah. I understand what it is and it's it's a strange byproduct. I, I'm not fighting it, but I'm not. No, I'm not chasing it, and it isn't something I I I want. I love acting. That's why I love the art of acting. Mm. Pretending to be someone else, saying someone else's words, creating a character from your instincts. That is what interests me. You know, if you are like being recognised, it means and people are liking what I do. That means that there is a level of success. But then, if you're going to measure like success in some way in like the way that people respond to you in public then that's like a measurement in a kind of like subsidiary way of mm. what it is to be successful I guess or popular yeah so it's a weird it is a weird the last four or five years have been a weird um transition for me to get my head around okay this is this is something now because you know I I've, I've been, I am a successful which well, is the fact actor, that this is something or... people are going to People know your name. People are yeah. going to want to talk to you. People what want to get... was the thing that... When did you... You said four or five years. Yeah, I guess something I that... think... It just feels like... It's, I've been getting more uh, visible, I guess. And people more like, oh, I recognise you in the last four or five years. 
and I think it's just get, just getting your head around that because it's a weird process you know I come from my parents run a bus company in Essex and I've been acting all my life and no one's given me any of this stuff I've sort of just been incredibly like headstrong blinkered and just doing the best job I can possibly do and it's paying off thank god touch wood but also then it's like oh okay hold on a minute what is like you look around you go okay what is this this is this is weird this is a weird situation you're in and like I guess when you think picture what it's going to be like when you do get to a certain level I mean look in the grand scheme of things I'm very low but when you picture yourself getting to a certain level in life when you actually get there it's different you know and what is important is real life and that's the thing that I've really I used to judge myself and my status and the way I felt about myself and what work I was doing and if I was working I felt like great if I wasn't working I felt like the pits and that question you don't ask actors what you're up to at the minute when that oh, happened yeah. And, yeah when that happened that's you, that like, was the first thing I asked you and that's fine because I'm because <laughs> I'm working because I've got stuff yeah. on I can talk about it yeah. if you asked me that six years ago and I wasn't working it would have been horrific and I'd have felt like look should we stop this conversation should I just get up and leave because there's nothing to talk about but now I'm like well I've got so much other stuff going on in my life we don't even need to talk about my acting it's I'm, I'm in a really fortunate position yeah. but again that's life experience you know yeah what else is in what else is going in the cabinet upstairs right so along with Rocky. so there's it says objects so Rocky isn't yeah. objects he's yeah. living but yeah. I've got this ring on my finger which I've had since I was 21 and my dad had it when he was young and didn't stop wearing it. And then I wanted a gold, old gold ring for my 21st birthday and they pulled it out of the safe, family safe. My mum took it to Julia's at a resize and then got them to batter it up. She went, he wants it old and battered. So the guy was like, really? She's like, yeah, just batter it. He's like, with what, like a hammer and chisel? And she's like, yeah. He's like, okay. So he sort of battered the ring up and they gave it to me and I wear this every single day and I don't take it off. And it's that sort of thing, if you go and see a, like a psychic clairvoyant, she'd go give me something to hold you know and they yeah. do a thing where they do a thing with objects this would be my like thing I'd put forward oh, right, yeah. and this is that's really important to me and I, I you know I've got photos going years back and you can see this and but it's like an old gold like a rose goldy ring and it yeah. I mean it looks a bit like a washer on the back of a dish dishwasher no, it but, doesn't. but you know people really go like oh what's that yeah. and I wear it on that like my middle like pinky finger birdie finger and mm. yeah are you know. into fashion yeah, more, yeah. Uh, yes. I lo- I sort of feel like I've got my look down now. I know I'm super, super casual and I've got my super like look when I go out, my super smart look when I go out. When I was younger, I definitely was more trying to work out my identity and I used to spend a lot of money in Vivian Westwood. Did I you? Had a, like, I had a drawer full of kipper ties. Really? What was I doing? <laughs> I mean, lovely design, but I, I just, it wasn't me. This little kind of pasty big eared kid with wearing Vivian Westwood. It just didn't it didn't work properly so at funny. the time. But you know, everyone makes them things and you're obviously I had received wisdom of what it was to be fashionable, so I would try and put this together and that together and you know, I look back and I think, What was you doing? <laughs> but I was very I was probably really more braver when I was younger, but no now I sort of I know what works for me. But, and I, I, like, I like spending money on clothes, definitely. Mm. I love like Paul Smith, I think he's an amazing brand. And for me, whenever I put Paul Smith on, or Stone Island, there's something about the, the cut and the fit mm. and the texture and the, 
quality that just makes me works, feel like works, works yeah. You, yeah. yeah. It's great that thing when you find the thing that makes you feel comfortable. Yeah, or like that's what it's all about. Me, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so many times I wore outfits and I was like, I couldn't even, like, I didn't feel, I felt stiff. Yeah. But you wore it because you thought, well, everyone, this is what I'm meant to look like and this is how I feel. But the reality is, it's like you just want to have a good time. Yeah. And not think about it. Be comfortable. And be comfortable, my God. Yeah, that's a running theme on this podcast, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, so just one more thing I wanted to say about the acting, because I, I want to talk about other stuff, because obviously, like you said, you've got so many other things going on that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, but I saw you in 2017 when you were in Angels in America yeah. at the National, and I saw that production when you played Joe Pitt, and it was such an amazing production, and yeah. your performance was amazing. Thanks. Um, and... It was quite surprising. I felt like it was different to other stuff I'd seen you in mm. before. And it was mm. quite a serious role. Mm. You played this um, closeted Mormon. man, Mormon, mm. in a marriage to a woman. Mm. And you were sort of stuck and wrestling mm. with um, demons. Be, be, yeah. Yeah, demons, being gay. Um, what was, um, how does the, that theatre, did you like that whole theatre experience? Oh, no. Theatre is what it's all yeah. about for me. Is if it? I could just do plays, I would just do plays. But I love why? It. Because that's acting, and when you are in the zone on stage and you lose yourself and you're telling this story and you can feel an audience is with you and you're talking and you pause and they're waiting for you to carry on talking, there's no feeling better than that. It's just, it's transformative and whatever it is about actors who want to be actors, it's that feeling that we're all craving, that's our drug. Mm. It's that ability to command a room and for people to care. You're making people care about what you've got to say. There's nothing like that. And I think that part was so... And what I wanted to do with him is because I think a lot of times Joe Pitt is played as a bit of the um, uh, the bad guy in, in Angels. You're meant to like think he's like he's a Republican, he's repressed, he's holding the kind of cause back, he's very internally homophobic, he's, you know, he's in this marriage and his poor wife is being kind of destroyed mentally by this relationship and you're meant to not care about him. I was like, fuck that, I want people to cry for him and be sad for him and I was determined to make sure that people felt the pain that he was under and, wa and want him to be okay. That was my mission with that. And you did, in the audience, you did feel like that. You really felt his pain. I mean, did you not, and at the end of that, every night, did you must have just felt destroyed. Yeah, horrible. There was a lot it's of breaking down and crying. And... Yeah, and he, it's ended with a slap. He gets slapped by Harper, his wife, and she goes off, and he just disappears. And in other productions, she slaps him and people cheer. And I was like, they better not fucking cheer in this. And they didn't. Really? No, because people cheer because they're yeah. like they're all on Harper's side and yeah. Joe can fuck off. And I was like, no, 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 and it didn't happen. But it was it was a really tough gig because you know I'm I'm really instinctive and you really just put yourself in his place. You go there with these characters and that's a long show, three and a half hours and four hours, three hours and three and a half, forty five minutes, two parts. You're on this whole journey, and then the guy. The, my mother, my Mormon mother, is then best friends with Pryor, the guy that I was in love with, who had an affair with me, who 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 dumped me. Uh, Belize, who's like um, the, the the queen, the sassy queen, who's awesome, and they're all there at, at Bethesda Fountain talking about more life. Let's carry on. Harper goes off to San Francisco. My wife's gonna have a good time. Joe just disappears. He just goes into the bowels of the theatre. You never see him again. And I then wait. I go back and sit in my dressing room. 
and I wait for like half an hour and then I come back on and do my bow and then I go home. It was so yeah. hard. I bet, yeah. It was so hard. I just walk along the Thames, walk home with Rocky really? and just be like all the way home. <laughs> oh I live in East London, I just take myself back and go over the bridge from the Tate Modern and just be like, fucking hell, this is tough. So you didn't get that buzz, that post? I got the buzz when I was buzz. on stage. Yeah. I the acting was amazing. There's nothing like it at all. It so was, it was Andrew Garfield. Yeah, Heaven. And Nathan Lane. Nathan heaven. Lane. Yeah, yeah, Heaven cast. And just the actual acting was amazing, but all the other stuff was so hard. Mm. So hard to get there. But when you're able just, they go, go and off you go. There's a green light, go, do your thing. Mm. Brilliant. A mm. gift, amazing. Yeah. Amazing show. So I want to talk to you about art. Yes. I know you are interested in art. You've got your podcast. Yes. You collect? Collect, buy. yes. So I put my art collection, the whole of my art collection in the cabinet because that has... Okay, is that been, the next thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's been my life's, aside from acting, it's been my life's journey. It's completely changed my life. Does someone say to you at some point, like when you were young, when you just started out, maybe you got your first paycheck, you should invest in art? Or no, is it, how did me. you, you just... what? I told you, you I'm a collector. I'm a oh, yeah, of course. I get enthusiastic yeah. about things. Art was suddenly felt like the next logical step. I was always obsessed with cartoons growing up. I loved mm. Tintin, Rocco's mm. Modern mm. Life. What's Rune your favourite Tintin book? Uh, Tintin in Tibet, which I oh, actually I did at, at the Barbican. Did you? Tintin and we did Tintin in Tibet with Rufus Norris, <laughs> who now runs National Theatre Director years ago. Was Rocky in it? Rocky wasn't because mm. it was a West Highland Terrier and it was uh, before Rocky yeah. was born. <laughs> but he would have been. I would have dressed him up just as snowy. snowy costume, yeah, yeah, totally. Or just Captain Haddock. But... <laughs> uh, so that, that influenced, cartoons influenced my taste in art and I was really obsessed with Roy Lichtenstein and Keith Haring, Andy Warhol, Mel Ramos who was uh, an advertising artist who did like the women with the you know, bananas and coming out of martini glasses and stuff. Um, so I had a lot of, I'm very visual, I don't know if you get that, but I am very visual and that sort of world just, I gravitated towards that and started buying editions. My parents bought me a Tracy M edition when I was 21. And then with the History Boys money from the movie, I bought a Tracy M monoprint. I was a, I'm obsessed with her drawing. I think her line is exceptional and unique to her. Mm, did you go to her exhibition at um, White Cube? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. We, we, was... She's on a tour card. We did a tour card. We walked around the exhibition, Fortnight of Tears, with Tracy. And we walked through the whole show. It's an amazing, it was, amazing episode. I saw people coming out of the, you know, the video at yeah, the end where the she abortion, talked about yeah. her abortion. Yeah. People came out of that and they were fainting yeah. in tears. Yeah, they had signs on the outside. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. raw, but it's, it's needed. Her, yeah. her voice is needed. And what's, she was doing all that way before the Me Too movement, way before all of this when women were allowed, allowed, when women were given the opportunity to go, yeah, we've been doing, this is what's been happening the whole fucking time. She was doing that then, and people were like, shut up, stop mm. talking about rape, stop talking about abortion, no one's interested. And she's like, no, I, this is what I want to talk about, this is what I'm doing. And now it's like, oh my God, she's been there the whole yeah. time. How important that was that she was there, and she still is doing that. It's incredible, it's an incredible show. So I bought, I bought a monoprint of hers with that money, and then from then, it kind of grew and grew, and I met Rob Diamond, at a retrospective she had in Edinburgh. We met then, like 10, 11 years ago, hit it off, and he was a collector as well, and we started being really competitive with each other and collecting things together. And then we now run this podcast, and he's now a gallerist because of the art world influences, and, that, and, and being in the art world has changed my life in so many ways. 
and my whole journey of discovery through art and collecting and the artists I've met and so what's the premise so it's for people who haven't heard the podcast yeah what's the it's, base, it's, what's it's, it about? Um, it's about making art for everyone making it accessible people need to be demystified about it because there's an academic elitist quality to art contemporary art and what it is to appreciate it and so many people feel angry about it they say you should never consider um, politics or religion when you're drunk I think contemporary art should be added to that because the reaction people get when you talk about Tracy Emin's bed Damien Hirst's shark especially the YBA movements people get so angry which is an incredible response but, but it's, they get angry about the art they get angry about it because I could have done that my, oh, kick, I see. my kid could have yeah. done that that's not art I think art is this yeah. art is the Sistine Chapel anything else that's not the Sistine Chapel is not art so it shouldn't be around. People shouldn't be doing it. They should all fuck off and die. That's the reaction to so many people. And it's like, okay, that's cool. Well done. But let's let's break that down a bit. This podcast is about celebrating. We're geeks. Me and Rob are geeks. We're art geeks. And we celebrate what art has done for us, our friendship. And everybody who comes on is someone that in some way is touched by art. Whether it be an artist, a collector, a gallerist, um, a curator, a uh, uh, presenter, Jan Street Porter's come on, and you, you, she knows so much, and it's just about showing that everybody's touched by art, and some people don't think they know anything about art. If you start talking to them, they're like, "Oh yeah, no, I, I remember I saw a Picasso in that museum when I was in Spain once," or "Oh yeah, and I saw that, and I really like that painting." When I was a kid, my parents had a Lowry poster on the wall, and you don't realise, but in the peripheral, the whole of your life, and you walk around London or anywhere, there's so much public art, you don't realise peripherally you're taking so much in, and that's all been made for us, for you. Do you know what I mean? And that's there for us. And these museums are free for us. So it's just, it's just about take advantage of it and don't feel um, angry or don't feel put off by it. Just go and let it wash over you. And if you don't like anything, that's fine, but you will end up liking one thing. You go to a museum and see 4,000 things, think this is all shit, and you might see one thing and be like, wow, that's pretty special, isn't it? And you sit in front of it and you think, okay, and that might change you molecularly. You know, subconsciously, you don't know. But that has shifted you a tiny bit somewhere else, more cultured, somewhere else to the better. And all art is, is about people's... It's just a, a conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. And we're just... Contemporary artists are just... It's their contribution to that discussion. And what we're doing is just supporting their contribution, supporting... We are doing our bit towards a discussion of what it is to be part of culture for thousands of years. Um, what in a nutshell <laughs> <laughs> you might have to edit that yeah. <laughs> um, how for people who want to start collecting editions or prints yeah. um, what is the best way to start work out your budget work out your taste photography sculpture works on paper uh, paintings canvas what do you what do you want what do you like yeah. look at Magazines, because sometimes fashion magazines like Living Etc, El Decor, Architectural mm. Digest, World of Interiors, you can flick through them and you'd be like, oh, I like that painting. And you go, well, that's, a, that's figurative, so you should have a figurative thing. Oh, I like that. Well, that's, well, that's obviously a landscape, or well, that's abstract. Work out what your taste is. If you, my, I mean, he's my friend, but I'm going to champion it. It's counter-editions.com. It's the most incredible um, publisher of artists, multiples and editions in the world, in my opinion. In a lot of people's opinion, it's incredible. And whenever people come to me and they say, so what, what they sell prints? They sell prints, yeah. so they do like all the best artists in the world making editions and prints, sculptures. So people say to me, what, what should I get? And I go, well, 
go on Counter Editions, look at all the artworks, all the artists, and come back to me and give me your top five artworks you like, and I'll be able to tell you from that what your taste is, and then I'll be able to know, and you tell me your budget, and I'll be able to sort you out. And I've done that with a few people, and I've been like, okay, cool, that, that means you, I think you like this, I think you like this, this artist, this artist. So I guess you're basically curating their brain mm. and pointing them in the direction where you think their persuasions are. Because everybody has different tastes, mm -hmm. everyone's had a different life experience to get them to where their taste is. Um, are you doing something with Freeze as well? Yes. I saw you give a speech the other day. At I Freeze opened Freeze uh, Sculpture. Sculpture Park. Which is in Regent's Park. Which is and that's, again, anyone can go into Regent's Park everyone, and see the sculptures there. Everyone, all the time. You can go yeah. and sit amongst them. Go and have like a... The big Tom Sachs. Um, oh, I love that Tom Sachs. Yeah, it's so cool. good. Yeah, My Melody, big sculpture by Tom Sachs. It's so good, but there's like a big Tracy M in, like bronze, just like lying there. You can go and sit and pick. So what's your, what's your involvement with them? Um, well, Freeze is like Lincoln Inc. as a tall cart, so it's, you know, and, and we've become friends with Freeze from the podcast, and also Freeze has been a big thing. Freeze Art Fair is a huge, like, diary moment in a lot of art world's lives, and we, we're going to be, like, working with them alongside them. Um, I'm curating, uh, I'm a guest curator for Margate now, which is a art festival that's happening during the Turner Prize, because the Turner Prize is in Margate this year at Turner Contemporary, so I'm... I'm curating the whole of Margate with artworks, Kent-based artworks mostly, that are going in, performances, films, installations. That was another um, thing I wanted to talk about, was Margate as mm. a phenomenon. Yeah. What, so in the last two years, I mm. know, so let's, first of all, people who don't know, might not know what Margate is or where yeah. it is. Margate's by the sea in Kent. It's East uh, of England on the coast. East coast, yeah. yeah. And it was... Uh, seaside town, we had lots of money before people started flying abroad and then people started going to Spain rather mm. than the UK and it fell into disrepute. Uh, it got forgotten, as most of these towns do, but they're now getting regenerations, regenerational um, money coming in from the government. Margaret's been on there. Margaret got the Turner Contemporary, which is the most incredible um, museum, Chipperfield Design Museum, absolutely stunning in the middle of Margate, absolute gift. Called a Turner Contemporary because uh, JMW Turner, the famous artist, painted the skies in Margate. So the skies you're seeing in a lot of Turners are from Margate, and that's in our country, that's Turner. That's an amazing <laughs> thing. The skies there are incredible. The beach is incredible. It's a sandy beach, it's not stony. Tracy Emin's from there. Tracy Emin became the queen of Margate because she's become the most famous She moved back the there she's recently. Moved it was back. A she's moved back. She's moved back. It's in the process. She, the studio's being built. L and then loads of galleries are going down and now. All the gays, all the artists, lots of people are moving down there. Where the gays and the artists go, you know, places place to become, be. you know, bohemian. But the places start to kind of develop. And it's now become this little hub of magic. So it's totally worth going to see million percent especially during uh the turner prize and during margate now mm. festival because it's the whole town is just geared towards art it's it's a really really exciting place really exciting and it's just growing and growing and growing brilliant yeah. is it? um is there anything else for the cabinet upstairs yes um i mean i've talked a lot haven't i no, not really. No. Oh, okay. Do so you might? Do you just feel like you have? I've got a cup. Well, I mean, I want to put my mates in the in the cabinet mm -hmm. again. I don't want them to suffocate. So a photo of them, we'll take a photo. mates and family, obviously. Yeah. So we can do a photo. Can we do a photo of? 
Yeah. A photo of your family? A photo of my family. Which mates? My nephews. Uh, just... My best mates who I've known all my life, my, my squad. My like besties are cool. all so important. That you know, that takes Do you, are you still so you've still got a friend group that you've all, that you've Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now? friends for years, yeah, yeah. One of my best mates, Holly, I've been mates with since I was uh, seventeen. And we're still best mates really? every single day. Yeah. yeah, she's amazing, amazing woman. She turned to woman, I want to call her a girl still. Because I still imagine her as like a, a little girl, but she's a What woman. does she do now? She is a blackboard artist where she goes around to pubs and bars and a sign writing and does the signs on shops. I've and always does wondered all the how they get those. So she's good, amazing. Holly right. Nuds is her name. She has What You Talking About is her Instagram feed, Very which is good. an amazing name. You should follow her <laughs> and then book her and she can do like these incredible creations. She does like commissions for people, does portraits, but these amazing like food menu boards and you see them in pubs and they're really impressive. The fonts, you know, the pictures, the, the shading with chalk. She does all that effortlessly and that's what she does now. So she goes around and does commissions for people and she's like very arty, loves all that and very, She's very, very good at what she does. Oh, cool. It's really exciting. So yeah. she, yeah, so she's like arty, like me, and she gets all that, and we go and do the gallery stuff. And but you know that for me, talking about like my life and where my life is at, that's one of my greatest achievements. I think mm. is my friends and family. And you're, my sing- friends. you're single. Are you? Am I single? Yeah. No. You're not. No. The reason I'm asking is because, and I you don't always. Up, I don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I do not know a lot of people who fancy you, but oh, um, nice. I'm, we're very excited when I said you're coming on. No, but it's only because you seem to be quite. You know, you talk about it quite openly in the interviews I've read with you. So no, you seem very I open. Be, maybe and, I should be sometimes because I do give quite a lot away. Yeah. So you have you you have a boyfriend. Yes. Nice. Yes, it's Is that what you were nice. saying about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm got very look, happy for you. I've got to be better media trained because okay. I do it and I go like, well, we know he is. No, it's, it's, it's brilliant. No, because I think the last interview I read with you was in May or something and that one you said you were still single. Yeah. But you were very confident that you wouldn't be single for a, very, yeah. for a long time. So. Yeah. Well, that confidence was right. <laughs> um, well, that's great. But yeah. So, yeah, so, that, yeah, so things, yeah. Life's great, you know, all that side of it is brilliant. And that's what's important is that other stuff. Because if you don't have the real life, then you can't play the pretend life because there's nothing to give you that. There's no nourishment to make make yeah. that even more nuanced. Yeah. And you need your real life to make that nuanced. Mm. So my mates I've put in there definitely. They're the, they're the family I've made for myself and I'm, I'm really proud of that. That's nice. That's a nice place to end. Well, thanks, oh, okay, Russell cool. Toby. Thanks so much. This small list, but yes. All oh, right. No, that was book. great. Okay, cool. Oh, you, sh- you can no, put in a book. Worry, Are you sure? Worry. Yeah, yeah. What was the book? Just tell me. Quickly. The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Okay. Yeah. We'll just put it in. You don't have to tell me why. Okay, if you don't. Put it in the cabinet. Don't All right. Someone else can pick up and read it, and then they can say. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much Thank for coming you. on. Thank you. It's been an honour. Cheers. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.